Let's pray. Father, as we turn to your word, we pray that you would be our teacher in this time. We approach it with great expectation, knowing that you are here and that you desire for us to know you. You've made yourself known. You've made your ways known. Help us to understand it. Help us to respond to it well and be glorified, Lord, above all else. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our topic this morning is growing young. We're considering how we, as Free Christian Church, uh, might raise up and empower rising generations of faith. This is a topic which is very close to my heart. Uh, When I was um, a young person, it was people of faith who walked alongside me in my journey and made all the difference. There was one point, I was at a very low point in my life, uh, in my faith. I I had gotten in a lot of trouble. I had made some mistakes and was just struggling in many ways. And there was a man who uh, walked alongside me during that season. He discipled me, he mentored me, and uh, was there for me. And really, we uh, worked with him at a sort of a Christian summer camp. And his influence on me really made me want to um, influence others. And so I was involved with the camp ministry, and then later in youth ministry. And so a lot of my uh, ministry here at the church was with, with the youth. Um, another formative experience of my young adulthood was ministering here. I was a young person when I started here. I am no longer a young person. Uh, I'm realizing all the time. Um, you know, I was 24 years old um, when I got here, and, you know, I felt young, and people were like, oh, you're young, and, and then... You, you realize you're, you're not, and, and then Tom Brady retired, and I was like, oh, oh, he's kind of done, too, and, um, but I still, it's still something that's very close to my heart, um, because I now have two teenagers, and I see the world that they're trying to navigate and grow up in and instill faith into, and, um, and I still work with teenagers in the church. I help with the high school small group. Uh, my wife Clancy works with uh, works at a middle school and is around young people all the time and helps with the confirmation program and we're around young people a lot. We really have a heart to disciple and to to minister to young people. And my guess is that this is something that's probably close to your heart too, because you may have children who are you know you see the world that they're growing up in and you want them to know and to love Jesus, or perhaps you have grandchildren who are. You, also, you know, trying to navigate this world, and you want to instill faith in them. Maybe you work with young people. You have coworkers who are young and up and coming, and you see their struggles, and you see the challenges of their career and their life in ways that maybe you didn't experience, and your heart is for them. Or maybe you're here, and you are a young person, and you want to reach your peers with the message of Jesus, and you want them to know the love of God and the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus Christ. And um, that's your heart. And so my guess is that it's probably close to all our hearts. So my goal today is just kind of cast a vision for what it means for us to grow young and think about some of the faith dynamics that are at play in a unique way and a couple practical ideas of how we might live this out. But why now? Why have this conversation now? Well, this is an ongoing conversation uh, among Folks in the church, different groups, leaders, the board of elders, uh, over a number of years, thinking about what does it look like and what do we need to do 
to, to get younger. Because the reality is that we're not alone. Most churches in America are not growing. There's not one major Christian tradition in this country that is numerically growing in any substantial way. Some are kind of holding steady, which is okay, I guess, but um, not growing, and then also not growing any younger. If 18 to 29-year-olds make up about 22% of the population of our country, it makes up only about 10% of the population of our churches. And more and more, young people are not identifying as followers of Jesus, as Christian. As Christians, it's what we call the rise of the nuns. You know, on a survey, they'll say, "None, I have no religious affiliation." That is a growing uh, trend, particularly among younger generations. For those young people who are connected to churches, what we call youth group kids. You know, high school kids who come through a church ministry in a youth group, forty to fifty percent of them drop away from their faith as they move on to college and into young adulthood. Half of church kids drifting from the faith. And so this is, these are not good things, but we believe that we can push against these trends, that there are churches that are growing younger and that we, we can be one of them, and we're going to take steps to do so in the days and the weeks to come. Now, I'm not presenting today a program that this is going to be some kind of an event or a program that we're going to try to do to grow younger. What I want to describe is more of a mindset more of a commitment from all of us across the generations of the church, young to old, to consider what it means to share the love of Christ with the next generation. So it's more about our posture than it is about a program or an event. Although we might have events or we might have programs. Uh, but it's more about the intentionality of, of this mindset. Because we're not going to drift younger. If we kind of sit and drift, we're going to end up older, trust me. In three years, we're going to kind of drift three years older um, we need to be intentional about these things. And it's an invitation from God. And so we want to uh, step into that. So I want to look at this passage from 1 Timothy. This is a letter written from the Apostle Paul, you know, super pastor, Apostle Paul, missionary, church planter, to a young ministry leader named Timothy. And he wrote First and Second Timothy directly to this young man. Paul was traveling around on one of his journeys. He met this young man, saw that he was gifted, saw that he was a person of faith, and really mentored him and discipled him, including these two letters, which we now have in the New Testament in our Bibles today. And so I want to point out three faith dynamics, kind of three theological dynamics uh, from this text that are real for us today as well. The first faith dynamic is false faith versus true faith. Look at verse 1, verse 1. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Paul's teaching young Timothy said in every generation of Christian faith there's, there's going to be false teaching in the world and there can be drift away from the true faith into this false faith. That is certainly true today. And the most prevalent false faith that's out there is described by uh, sociologists as moralistic, therapeutic deism. What we mean by that, deism is basically God exists. Moralistic, God wants me to be good. And therapeutic, God wants me to be happy. So God exists, God wants me to be good and happy. That is not the God of the Bible. It sounds nice. 
That sounds good, and that's actually what most people believe, and it's very prevalent in younger generations, this sort of, God wants me to be happy, God wants me to be good. And some would even claim Christian faith, but kind of believe in this false concept or deficient concept of God, I would say. One way that it's described is as golden rule Christianity. So golden rule Christianity is that our faith is primarily about uh, the golden rule is to do unto others as you would have done to yourself. Or as Jesus said, um, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the golden rule. And in young generations, they want to help others. They want to make the world a better place. They say, okay, my job on this earth is to do good things and to leave it a little bit better than I found it. And that's sort of my faith. That's, that's what God wants from me. The problem with golden rule Christianity is that it's less about faith in God and more about how moralistic or how good I am and the good deeds that I do. The research shows that those who um, profess this golden rule Christianity, they read the Bible less, they attend worship less, they talk less about faith questions or faith struggles, they respond to social issues less from a faith perspective. It's a nice way of life but it's very lukewarm in terms of faith, and there's no Jesus in it. Jesus said that this love your neighbor as yourself was the second most important commandment. But we can't live out the second most important commandment and forget the first, the number one. Jesus said, the first, the greatest, the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. That is the first and greatest, most important commandment. And the second is like it. It flows from it. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. But if you just go and love and do good deeds, it's because remember, Jesus said, love as I have loved you. That the love that Jesus has shown us and his love that he's given us that we receive is a self-sacrificial love. That our faith in God is rooted in the life and the atoning death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And our need for that, our broken nature and our sin, that we need forgiveness, we need salvation. And it comes through Jesus. And when we receive that, then we are forgiven and free and empowered to live a life of good deeds. But if we go about just trying to do a little bit better, we forget the fact that we inevitably fall short. And that the, the calling of Christ is much more, perhaps even much more sacrificial than that. But we need to be vitally connected to God, the first commandment, before we can live out the second one. Therefore, as we move forward as a church seeking to reach young generations, we need to always remember that we keep the central, the good news of Jesus Christ, of his life and his death and his resurrection, central to our message and central to our ministry. The second faith dynamic that we're going to navigate through this is um, legalism versus grace. Verse 3. This is Paul teaching young Timothy. He says, They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. The false teaching of Timothy's day, and this was, his ministry at this point, was primarily in Ephesus, at the, this young church in Ephesus. 
the false teaching was that you're, you measure your spirituality or your holiness by what you don't do, by things that you abstain from, uh, by foods that you don't eat. And it was all about what you don't do. In our day today, there are too many young people who see the Christian faith as a list of things that you don't do. Or even just like a list of do's and don'ts. That's what faith is. It's like, here's bad things you avoid, and here's good things you do. And it's this sort of balance of do's and don'ts. I was asked recently by, by a young person um, who I was introduced to as a pastor, and the person said, oh, I notice, I notice you're wearing a wedding ring. You're married. What are you allowed to do in your faith? What are you allowed to do? Because you can get married. I'm like, that's kind of a weird way to ask the question. And then, and, and I... And I started to try to answer it. Well, I'm like, well, yeah, I'm, I have, I'm married. I have a family. Uh, that's in our tradition. So this person's probably coming out of some sort of Catholic tradition where clergy would not be married and have kids. So this was all kind of new to this person. And I started to walk down this road, and I realized, you know what? I'm going to, because I was trying to think of things that would be bad if I did and that this congregation would disapprove of. And I started kind of naming some things. And I was like, that's not. That's not really the point of our faith. I said, really, we don't look at our, our faith as a list of things, of do's and don'ts. It's really about done, what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf, that we all fall short of God's perfect standard and that we all need forgiveness and that that's the center of our faith. And that's very freeing, that I'm not bound by this law code of, you know, do this, don't do that, but I'm free to just love and to serve in receiving God's forgiveness when I fall short. I think there's been other expressions of Christianity and, and maybe older expressions that were much more rules-based. You know, you have to do this, and you have, you know, you, you can't do this, and you can't wear that, and you have to do this. It just, it, it was, it became a, just a set of rules that, that people reject. And say, actually, that's, our, our faith is about accepting or rejecting Jesus Christ, it's not about accepting or rejecting rules. So as we walk forward, we're going to think about that dynamic and how do we have the grace of God permeate our ministry and our conversations and our interactions with people that we are always emphasizing the grace of our Lord Jesus. The third faith dynamic we see here is the dynamic of future heaven versus God's kingdom today. And basically... Again, Paul is teaching young Timothy. He said, look, don't get caught up in controversies. Don't get caught up in silly quarrels. You need to work on godliness. You need to work on growing in your faith and your life with God. And so verse 8, he says, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise both for the present life and the life to come. And the emphasis there is our faith is not just a future glory. Our faith isn't just about getting saved now and getting forgiven by God so that when I die, I'll have some wonderful afterlife, which you will have, which is spectacular and amazing. But we need to remember that when, when we come to faith in Christ, we become part of God's kingdom today in the here and now. And my life and what I do now is important, not just some future glory. That, 
that we have hope for today. Verse 10 says, this is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. That we, we have hope. This is, we're laboring and striving and doing our life and living out our salvation and experiencing our salvation as we go, and not just for the future, but for today. Basically, you don't just sit around and wait for some nice afterlife. And I think there's, again, there's been expressions of faith, and perhaps I've been guilty of this, or we have as a church, that focus too much on the life to come and not enough on what God is doing in our everyday lives. That's why we talk about whole life discipleship, that Everywhere you go, God is with you. And all that you do it can be significant. That's why I love this uh, event that's going to happen tomorrow night for young adults. This faith and work networking event. Because we really want to cast a vision for young people that everything you do, including your work and everything you put your hand to, can be done for the glory of God. Can be done through the lens of your faith that God is with you and at work in your life today. And we always need to emphasize God's kingdom today. Just as we emphasize God's grace, and we emphasize um, the true faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So those are some of the faith dynamics that we're going to feel that as Paul is mentoring young Timothy that uh, he was experiencing back uh, in the early church. A couple of practices, a couple of things that we uh, seek to do. Uh, The first we see in verse 11 and 12 in our passage. Paul says, to Timothy, he says, Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. I mean, this young man had a very important role to play in this young church in Ephesus in terms of making sure there was right teaching and the right leaders. And he was trained for ministry. He was prepared for ministry. He was gifted to minister. And, and Paul says, look, you're young, But you're gifted. Do this. Don't let anyone judge you, look down on you because you're young. Verse 14, he says, Don't neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. He's reminding him. He said, look, God gifted you, but there was a community of elders. There was a group of old people, literally, who put their hands on you and said, yes, you are gifted and commissioned to this ministry. Even though you're young, this community will affirm you. And I think that's great for us as a church to remember we need to include young people everywhere. We need to affirm their gifting and include them and, and help them to remember that we affirm them and include them and, and that they're empowered by God but affirmed by his people that we are a community of faith that includes and affirms young people in, in all of the ministry. And we're going to see more and more of that as we move forward. The second practice here is is that we're going to point to Jesus as the answer to the big questions of life in all that we do. There's these big, ultimate questions. The three biggest questions of life are, who am I, where do I fit, and what difference do I make? Who am I, where do I fit, what difference do I make? Who am I is a question of identity. Where do I fit is a question of belonging. And what difference do I make is a question of purpose. And young people are feeling those questions and experiencing those questions. Those aren't unique questions to young people. We all ask those big life questions. But younger generations are asking them, they tend to feel them more acutely than older generations. But it's, 
unique, I would say, uniquely difficult for young people to answer these questions because of the world that they live in, because of the, the culture around them, which might be different than the cultures that we grew up in for those who are older. Uh, for four things, briefly, on this. The reasons it's challenging to answer those big questions is peripheral faith, omnipresent technology, sexual experimentation, and adult abandonment. And what we mean, peripheral faith, meaning that trying to answer these big questions in a world that pushes faith way to the sidelines. I mean, Paul's teaching Timothy in verse 13, he says, you know, devote to public reading of Scripture, uh, you know, this public faith, or in verse 15, be diligent in these matters, give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Describing a faith that is central to life, and yet we're ministering to generations where culturally and individually, faith is really on the margins. It's been relegated way to the side. Secondly, omnipresent technology. The constant connection and interaction and information and distraction and the speed of information makes it really hard to slow down and ask and answer some of these big questions of who am I? Where do I fit? What difference do I make? This omnipresent technology is different than when I was a young person and for many of you, and it's, a, it's, a, it's challenging. It creates a, a new challenge of distraction and speed, and, but also good things, good interaction and connection, but the omnipresent nature of it is, is all new. Uh, sexual experimentation in, in a world that is asking the question, you know, where do I fit? You know, who am I? Sexual experimentation promises belonging and connection and intimacy, but often leaves young people feeling quite empty. And lastly, adult abandonment. You know, where in a world where young people see adults as just too busy or too self-absorbed to really uh, walk with young people, you know, without any agenda, just walking through life. I, I, you know, for us as a church, you know, we, our vision is to help young people navigate this, these questions and point them to Jesus and walk with them and not abandon them. You know, I remember my story, the, that guy I mentioned earlier, he, we worked together in this organization and I said, you know, I know the things I've done could impact how I, you know, if we're able to work together or to continue. And he said, look, I don't care about that. I care about you right now. We can get to that stuff later. I want to walk with you. And, and, you know, will you meet with me? And we met and prayed and searched the scriptures together. And it was just somebody who, want, who was willing to walk with me without an agenda other than to point me to Jesus. Um, and really struggling with a lot of those same questions. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to point people to Jesus. We're going to include young people in all that we're doing. Um, and if we take Jesus seriously, we're going to take his command to us to make disciples seriously. And if we take the command to make disciples seriously, we're going to take growing young seriously. Um, and that's where we're headed. Let us pray. Let's pray. As we, as we pray, just invite you to close your eyes. And I want you to think, when you... If you're young, or if when you were young, I want you to picture somebody who um, cared about you. Someone who walked with you. It might have been a parent, or a coach, or a teacher, or a youth leader. Someone you knew who, who cared about you when you were young. Just picture them in your mind right now.
and just in silence, just thank God for that person. Now I want you to picture a young person. It might be one of your kids, grandkids, maybe a coworker. Just someone you, you know who is young. Just bring them to mind. And in this time, just in silence, just pray for them. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to know you and your love, and I pray that we would take that and that we would share it with, with these generations of faith that are rising up, that we would be those who walk alongside, who point to your truth, who show your grace and teach of your grace. that our lives would be centered on you and your work in our lives and that it would propel us to love and to good things. But Lord, help us to keep our eyes open to those around us who are, especially those who are asking these big questions of life that we, through our words and action, might always point them to you, Lord. We thank you for these opportunities and we thank you for your goodness to us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.